bless the name of the Lord. <clears throat> I love you, Jesus. I worship and adore you. Just want to tell you, Lord, I love you more than anything. And that's how I feel today. I love you more than anything, God. God is a wonderful God, a blessed mighty God. I'm so glad you joined us tonight. Thank you for tuning in. It is a blessed time to be studying the word of the living God. We're living in a time now where the study of the word is one of the most important things you can do to keep your heart and mind and spirit in tune to God and to keep everything else pushed to the side. Well, I know we've got a long time to study ahead of us, but before we get into it, I thank all of you. I see all of you who are chiming in to pray for those families. We have three bereaved families that are going through, and I ask that you continue to hold them up at this point in time. Uh, Sister Audrey Turner's mother went home to be a Lord. I'm going to Ellen Turner, 102 years old, and we're praying for them. Brother Reginald McIntyre went home to be with the Lord, uh, 55 years old, and then our dear brother, uh, Murphy, Murphy, just a wonderful individual, Murph's Corners up there in the balcony where he manned the AV system for our church, and we all miss him uh, dearly. And so keep praying for those three families and let them know that we love them and we hold them up during this hour of grief and time of prayer. I want you to join me in prayer as we get ready to study the Word of God tonight. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful because we know who you are and what you've done for us. We recognize that we need you tonight, and we need you every day and every hour. Speak to our hearts, Holy Spirit, and grant that we hear you. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> well, let me do this tonight. I'm excited. Let's, let's jump into less than the night. Uh, for those of you studying along, we're in Genesis chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. We're going to try and do most of this chapter. We're just going to skim it and talk about it because there's a couple of salient points I want to raise and make you aware of. So it's Genesis 39, and I'm looking now in Genesis 39. Um, this series and this teaching here is called Living Faith in Stressful Times, and this is part 22. Living Faith in Stressful Times, and this is part 22. I've come to believe something that I know I'm right about. That life holds more challenges for us than we really want to handle. Life holds more challenges for us than we are individually capable of handling. That life holds challenges that require our connection to God at a depth that will keep us from surrendering to the temptation to give up, the temptations of folly or foolishness, the temptation to want to just simply appease oneself for a moment. Life presents the kind of challenges that make you want to throw up both your hands. And you have to realize <clears throat> the kind of challenges that life gives us are the challenges and the ones I think that are really most difficult for us 
are the ones when we have no control. When we have no control, when we have, when, we, when, when what's happening is not within our power to change. As long as I have some agency where I can change a situation, then I'm not nearly as frustrated as I may be when I'm in a situation that I have no agency to change. And so really, the lesson tonight is, in order to live your faith in stressful times where you lack control, you have to learn some lessons that allow you to hold on and to realize who you are in the midst of an out of control situation. Quick example. We're not in control of this pandemic. Someone asked me, what are the regulations today for COVID? Uh, what, 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 what are we requesting we do? I gave them a list of the things that we're doing. And I said at the end of it, that's where we are today. That could change tomorrow. New guidance, new numbers, everything can change. So please do not come back and say, but you told me on, on Tuesday, this is what it is. I'm telling you that as of this moment, and the caveat is, I realize I'm not in control of the virus, nor the actions of people that refuse to get vaccinated or refuse to mask or refuse to social distance. I'm not in control of any of that. So what is it? Bishop, if that's your illustration, and we've been out of church for going on a year and a half, what feels like an eternity. We're on on Sunday morning and we, we're not gathering regular. Our normal fellowship is, what, what do we do, Bishop? I wanna give you this to start this lesson off tonight. When situations in life are beyond your control, control what you can. When situations in life are beyond your control, control what you can. Now, now what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, if the situation is out of my control, I have to learn to work within that situation to get a handle on what I can get a handle on. And if I can't get a handle on the situation, I know one thing I can of assurance get a handle on, and that's me. The outside circumstances may be out of my control, but I can control me. So let me put it this way. You must learn to control you. When situations are out of control, things that you have, you have no way to affect a difference in, you have to learn to control you. We must learn to control ourselves. 
you must learn to control you. Now, I'm not going to delve in deep this tonight, but I want to give you four areas that require your control. And these are just four, but I'm, I'm putting them all on one slide because I'm, I've got a lot of territory to cover. You need to control your thoughts, control your tongue, control your talent, and control your temperament. Now I'm going to see this, you can see other lines coming off of that great illustration there. You, you can, you can, what you need to know is I've got stuff to add to this, but I'm starting with these four that you need to remember, and you're gonna see how they are done in this text, and you will be able to plug them in. I'm not gonna come back to them to say them. I want you to be able to see them when you're watching, when you're looking through the story. Control your thoughts, your tongue, <clears throat> your talent, that's whatever gifts God has given you, who you are, and your temperament. And temperament is another way of saying your attitude. Uh, 1986, uh, the incomparable and, and wildly uh, entertaining and fascinating Janet Jackson put out an album, called it Control. Yeah, that, that album, Janet Jackson's Control, was something to behold. She put out that album, it became the turning point of her career and was one of her first, very first commercial successes. Janet found herself with the opportunity to take control of her career and of her life. And with the help of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, she began to develop herself and move beyond what she was, a pop singer, into rhythm and blues and R&B and, and rap and add all of the components of Caribbean and everything into one and begin to develop a style that she could then market. She found control. Life spirals out of control. But what you have to understand is what Joseph came to understand. If you can only control one person, and that's you, then do a good job at it. Because your blessing, your real blessing, your, I'm talking about the thing that's going to make you happiest out of everything. It's not, not new people in your life, it's not more money, it's not more cars. The thing that is going to bring you real freedom is learning to control yourself. And Joseph understood the more in control of himself he was, the greater the freedom he experienced. The more in control of himself he was, the greater the freedom he experienced. Let me bring it to you. Let me bring it to you. You've got to get this in your spirit. The more in control of you you are, the more freedom you're going to experience. Because when you're in control of you, you end up being free from the stress of the opinions of other people, free from what other people think about you, what they say about you, what they talk, you, it gives you such freedom. When you're in control of you, people could do things that would, would make a normal person angry. They don't make you angry because you're in control of you. You have freedom from their attempts at mind control of you. 
They can't play games with your mind because your mind is already steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the works of the Lord. Control equals freedom. Let me say it again. Control equals freedom. Most people who are in prison and there are some who are in prison unjustly and some who have been in prison for prison terms that were longer than they should have been because of the prejudice and bias of drug charges that really should have been differently and the three strike rules which was completely horrific. But most people in prison. And I've got a, I've got a CEO sitting over here can give me an amen when I say it. Most people in prison are in prison because they could not control themselves. And the biggest thing is impulse control. Sometimes it's, it's just two or three seconds of stupidity change the trajectory of their lives. Impulse control. Control equals freedom. And now, let me, let me do it again. I'm going to hold my analogy here. Because if control equals freedom, the thing that prison does is prison takes away your physical freedom so that you are controlled by someone else because you can't control yourself. But in Joseph's case, prison can't even confine him. Because he is in control of himself, even in prison, he has freedom. Oh, I'm trying to help somebody here. This, this is working. This is working. Look, look. You can't control people. You can only control your response to their whimsical nature. You can't control people. You can only control your response to their whimsical nature. Everything I'm saying is coming out of Genesis, uh, Genesis 39. And when I begin to read the text, you will understand what this comes from. You can't control people. You can only control your response to their whimsical nature. People are going to do what they want to do. People are going to say what they want to say. Some people are going to be mean. Some people will be, uh, what, what would Oberg say, mean and surly. Some people will be, will, be, will be difficult. Some people will act out of their own self-interest. Some people will act out of their own lust. Some people are going to say stuff that's going to hurt your heart. Some people will say stuff that will hurt you that they don't even mean because they lack control of themselves. They'll say stuff that'll hurt you that they know will hurt you because they want to hurt you, not because they think that it's the truth about you, but because they know it'll rip off an old scab and expose an old pain and wound and make you feel bad about yourself. You can't control people. You can only control your response to their whimsical nature. Whimsical, whimsical meaning that, that they're fluctuating. They move by every wind and doctor. They move by everything. Any, anything can tick them off. Anything can make them do what you would think would be unthinkable. But remember this. Reactions 
belong to individuals. Reactions belong to individuals. I can't control what you did. I can't control that you're not, uh, um, 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 I keep hearing this, this phrase, you're not organized. You can't, you, I can't control you. You can't set a schedule. I can't control the fact that you may, may, may not understand your role. I can't control the fact that you might be mean. I, listen, listen, listen. Um, today, today the, the New England Patriots just released former NFL MVP Cam Newton from his position as quarterback. They decided they're going with their new quarterback who they drafted in the first round in this last draft. Cam Newton said in his response, don't feel bad for me. I'm okay. Now what Cam recognizes is this. I can't control what the owner of the Patriots or Bill Belichick wants to do. The only thing I can control is how I respond. And what I have to know is there are other GMs that is general managers in the NFL looking at how I handle this to decide on whether or not I'd be a problem if they brought me into their team. So if I start acting a fool now, kind of cuss them out and make them look bad, then what I'm gonna end up doing is chop it off my nose to despite my own face. So instead of doing that, hey, I'm cool. I'll get another opportunity somewhere else. Because the reaction belongs to the individual. Can't control what you do to me, but I can certainly control how I respond. As most of you know, one of my favorite poets is Maya Angelou. And Maya Angelou put it this way. If you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Hold that for a second, because somebody needs to get that. You need to know that one. If you don't like something, change it. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Those are your choices. If you can't change it, change your attitude. Change how you feel about it. Change what you're going to do about it. One last Maya Angelou quote, and it sets up the rest of my, my lecture tonight. Maya Angelou said it this way, you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. You cannot control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. This is Joseph's situation. He can't control what his brothers did to him. He can't control what Potiphar does to him. But what he can't control is the fact that they will not diminish him because they're acting small. I'm not gonna, you're not gonna diminish me because you wanna make me look bad. I'm gonna be me. I'll be a king, I'll be a leader, I'll be a person of integrity wherever you put me. I'm gonna be who I am. You're not gonna reduce me 
to a place that God has not put me in. And I do think in the back of Joseph's mind has to be a sense of God's promises over his life and the life of his family. And in his mind, he's got to be thinking, God won't place you where he can't provide for you. God won't place you where he can't provide for you. Ah, let, let me, one more time. God won't place you where he can't provide for you. He can provide for you. He can make it work wherever you are. Whatever you're doing, whatever position you're in, he can make, he can provide for you whether you're in the valley, and even if it is the shadow of death. You can provide for you if you're on the mountaintop. He can provide for you if you're in the middle, in between climbing up the rough side of the mountain. Because I believe that God's promises and or his favor are enduring. They're enduring. I'm going to hold to this enduring because I'm going to begin and end this alliteration with this idea of enduring promises of God. God, God God's, God's promises are enduring. They're enduring. God, God is not going to make a promise and take it back. If he spoke it, he'll bring it to pass. If he said it, he'll make it good. What God has spoken, God is going to do. God is going to fulfill every promise he made to you. Because, you know, when I was, uh, when I was a little boy, we, uh, we used to talk about the Holy Ghost. And I got the Holy Ghost when I was young. Uh, this, this, I mean, I received the Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. With, with, with speaking in unknown tongues. I, I received it. We used to talk about tarrying until you be endowed with power from on high. That's what the old folk told me. You you're going to pray until you got the endowment. You're going to be endowed with power from on high. The endowment of God's favor upon God's people is seen in the New Testament in the gift of the Holy Ghost, which is a part of the engrafting us into the family of God and gives us the authority and the dunamis and the exousia, that is the power and the exousia, the authority to work. That endowment in the New Testament is through the Holy Spirit, but he was endowed through his family and through the line and lineage he was in to fulfill the promises of God. And what you need to know is this, his endowment that God's promises may include a location, but they are endowed upon people. They're endowed upon people. So God's promise to Israel was a location. It's a place. But the promises are endowed upon the people. So when, when Joseph is moving and doing, what he's moving and doing in is in the promises and the endowment of God upon his life. He has been endued with power. 
I want to I want to lift up now. I know I've been going a while before I read scripture, but I'm going to read a lot in the next 25 minutes. So roll, roll with me, rock with me, lean with me. One time, we're going to do this thing. Genesis 39, verse one and two. It says, "Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Remember that down to Egypt and Potiphar." And an Egyptian officer, Pharaoh, the captain of the royal guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites, who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph. Who was with him? The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. And he, even though a slave, I like where the Amplified Version puts that, he, even though a slave, became a successful and prosperous man and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. He was a slave, but he was prosperous. He was, he was a slave, but he was prosperous. He, he was, a, you, you missed it, you missed it, you missed it. Here you go. God's blessing him because what God has upon him is that God is with him even though he's in a place of bondage. Well, because the text says that he's in the house of his master, and you can't have a master unless you're a slave. So if the master of the house is there, someone has authority and rule over his life and body, therefore he is in bondage, but in the midst of bondage, God still blesses him, and he has now, God moves upon his life in the Wait a minute, you, you missed that. You see, you can be in a bad situation and still be blessed. You can be in a bondage situation and still be blessed. You can, let me tell you something. I, I, I don't know about you, but, but I've, had, I've had life experiences of projects and, and grew up in, in a rough neighborhood, but I never yet once thought that I was in a rough neighborhood or even realized it was a project till I got out and someone told me why. Because look, I was so blessed because my mama was blessed and my family was blessed because we had an anointing on our lives. It didn't matter where we lived. We lived where we had to live and we were blessed in the place. We ate good. We dressed well. We rode all right. God blessed because God blesses you wherever you are. I don't care what hood you're living in. I don't care what situation you're in. I don't care if you hear me right now and you're in prison. God can bless you in the prison. God can bless you in the hospital. God can bless you in the nurse. God can bless you where you are because the endowment is not predicated upon you having some great position. It's predicated upon you having possession of God in your life. Good stuff right there. But, but God, God's endowment upon him also create a situation of elevation. Elevation. Now it's important you get this elevation notion here because he gets elevation. In other words, even though he's in a bad situation, God raises him up and elevates him to be able to do great and mighty things. I need to say this again. Listen, listen. You got to get this. You don't have to move out of bondage to be elevated. You can be in a bad situation and still be above it. Whew. 
You could be in a bad, this is just where I am today. This is not my ending. This is my current position. Yeah, I'm in a hoopty right now, but don't worry. In God's due season, I'll be in the kind of car I ought to be in. Yeah, I'm in a bad, rugged, rough neighborhood, but in God's time, I'm going to move on up to the east side. You don't get me. <laughs> you have to realize that where I am, I can still be blessed and elevated even where I am. Now notice what it says. It says, now his master, verse 3 now. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him. Why is he blessed? Because he's carrying the endowment. He's carrying the, he's carrying the endowment. He's got, he's got power of God on his life. His master saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord caused all that he did to prosper, that is to succeed in his hand. So Joseph pleased Potiphar and found favor in his sight, and he served him as his personal assistant. He made Joseph overseer over his house and put all that he owned in Joseph's charge. I need to preach this in your spirit. Because see, I told you, control is freedom. The more Joseph controlled Joseph, he may have been in a bondage situation, the more free he was within the house of his master. The more power he gained, the more liberty he had to go to and fro to do what he needed to do. Because see, when you're in control of you, you keep getting elevation. You keep moving up. God's going to keep doing great things. You're going to be moving in a new direction. He is so in, in charge that God allows him to be over everything that Potiphar owned. He oversees the entire house. That's elevation. But remember, here's what you got to know. This elevation was really exploitation. And that is that he was being utilized. He was being taken advantage of. And you have to understand something. Secular people can witness the endowment and realize they can't take it, but they can't exploit it. They can't take it, but they can't exploit it. And people will always look for ways to exploit that which God has put upon your life. Now, let, let's be clear now. It is in the exploitation of your gifts and of your talents that you are end up being blessed. So you gotta choose where you're gonna let your favor dwell. That's what Jesus teaches his disciples when he says, when you go in a house, you're gonna bless it. And if they mistreat you, he says, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. In other words, take the blessing back. You choose where you're going to share what you have. Oh, man. See, 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 I may, everybody has got to produce something in order to have success. So if you're producing, you can now choose where to produce at. So if it's going to be exploited, at least pick what you're going to do and how you're going to do. He was put in that position and he understood this was a place I can grow in. So let me let all my stuff shine. Let me bring it out. Let me not worry about what they're doing. See, sometimes you get so worried about somebody using you, you forget that you also can be getting something out of the relationship as well. 
So you you got you got to recognize that there are some situations where there is a usury, but it, it may not be to your disadvantage to be in that situation because you may be, be putting yourself in the next situation where you're going to be the head and not be the one in that position. Exploitation. Let me. Let, let, let's read, let's read, let's read, let's read, let's read. Ooh, I got something I'm working on here. Verse 5. <laughs> it happened that from time to time that he made Joseph overseer, from the time that he made Joseph overseer in his house and put him in charge of all that he owned, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. So the Lord's blessing was on everything that Joseph owned in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left all that he owned in Joseph's charge. And with Joseph, there did, he did not need to pay attention to anything except the food he ate. Man, everything was in his hands. And I didn't even look back at it. Other than what I'm going to put in my mouth, I'm not even worried about nothing. Now, Joseph, uh-oh, Joseph was handsome and attractive in form and in appearance. Uh-oh. Let me, let, me, let me give you this before I can move on. Joseph allowed the exploitation in order to gain the elevation. Again, let me do it again. Joseph allowed the exploitation in order to gain the elevation. One more time. I, I hope you put that up on the, on the screen. Joseph allowed exploitation in order to gain elevation. The, the, the movements have to be there. Sometimes you got to give a little to get a little. Thank you so much. He, no, no, it's the next slide after. He, he, sometimes you got to allow it. Oh, that's it. Thank you very much. So in order to get the elevation. What, what he experienced, thank you, I appreciate it. What he experienced was a form of equality. Now, this is, this is hard to, 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 to digest because equality is not always equality. And because equality is not always equality, you have to always be wise when you're in certain places because they may talk to you and treat you as an equal while in their heart of hearts, thinking you of you as less than. So you need to be careful because equal ain't always equal. Because anytime somebody is exploiting you, you gotta understand their, their motives are not for your good, but for theirs. So the equality being granted is being granted selfishly because everything he allows Joseph to do is less than he has to do. Therefore, he is granting an equality that is not a full equality because really it is enough so that he can use his gifts and his anointing. But he's wise enough to see what's going on. Now, now, now. Uh... I guess we got to go there, y'all. Joseph was handsome in appearance. I said Joseph was handsome in appearance. Let, can I go back up and let's get verse 7. 
because this is where it all goes downhill. Verse 7 says, Then after a time, his master's wife looked at Joseph with desire, and she said, Lie with me. Okay, y'all. I got two things to tell you before I move on. You need to realize that there comes a season when people can show you their true colors. And here, the master's wife says, come on in, come lie with me. Intention is simple. You got equality, but now we have a, a, another element thrown into the midst of the story. And it is the element of eroticism. Money, power, sex. Uh, young people say first you get the money, then you get the power, then you get the sex. No, money, power, sex. You got this element of eroticism in here. This he he she looks at him, he's handsome, and she wants him. And uh, she's going to take, if she can, Sister Regina, you cold-blooded. Sister Regina says, slutty wife. I didn't say that. I'm repeating my testimony. <laughs> you, 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 you're here. She says, come on in. Verse 8, he refused and said to his master's wife, look with, with me in the house. My master does not concern himself with anything. He has put everything that he owns in my charge. He is, not, is no, not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God and your husband? I can't do it. I can't do it. Don't, don't, don't push me. Now, you have to, I want to say something, because... People think that lust is a male-dominant issue. And it's only seen male-dominant because of patriarchy. But eroticism, sensuality, sexuality, you can try to place it in binary terms of male and female. But the reality is that intimacy and the desire for intimacy is innate to humanity. Well, let's say innate to nature. So that while you may want to simply bottle up and say only men have these feelings of lust, this is a woman who is lusting and is in attempt to commit adultery with this man and is telling him, <clears throat> come on in. Come on in, Maroon. Come on in, Maroon. She is, he's got free reign. He's in the house. He's in a place where nobody can be there. <laughs> Run for us. He, he's there. And instead of her looking at him and honoring his fidelity and faithfulness to her husband and seeing him as the blessing he has to, to, to their family, no, she sees him as an object. So the same objectification 
that men are normally accused of for women, she is having the same objectification along this line for a man. Now notice this now. Does, is it a factor of power that causes you to objectify other people? Is it a factor of, of being in a, a, a successful position that causes the objectification? Whatever it is, it is in her to woo him and he now has a choice to make. Now notice if you will, his brother has already made a choice related to temptation and he's gone in and slept with one of his father's wives. He's got a choice to make. This is a sexual temptation. Judah, we know, messes up and he sleeps with his daughter-in-law. We got a sexual temptation. Tamar plays at the harlot and brings in Judah. We've got another sexual situation. And here he is forced to decide the question of his own integrity. And for him, he says, the sin against your husband would be a sin against God. Now, you've got to understand, the sexual mores of that society are not the same as the ones you understand today as a New Testament believer. Uh, don't, don't think that, 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 that unmarried sex was not something that, that was happening. Uh, getting caught was always the problem. Now, in this case, the real issue falls down to the fact that this is a married woman and I will not, I refuse to go and take this woman into my bosom and to ruin her and to ravage her. But she, let's go back to the text. I know some of y'all are sitting there on the edge of your seat now because we've got this erotic element. The reality is, let me, let me tell you something in case you don't know it. If you don't realize that issues related to sex and sexuality are as old as time, you don't realize life itself. Can, can, I, can I preach it a little bit? So that trying to control one's passion has always been an issue, whether it was male or female. Here comes, let's go quickly. Verse 10, and so it was that, that she spoke to Joseph persistently day after day. Stop right there, hold on. So homegirl, didn't just hit him one day. She didn't just, you know, kind of give him a wink and nod, you know, kind of show a little leg on the side. No, 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 no. Day after day, she was like, look, which makes you think that she might have, you all remember coming to America and Eddie Murphy uh, and, and the, the, the keepers were, you, you know, uh, they take care. She might have had a situation where the men of the house came in to take care of her needs. And she was just like, well, you're just another man in this house. So you come in and day after day, day after day, day after day. Now, let me just say this to you. Joseph is a, a man 
that is most unusual, even by biblical terms, because it doesn't matter how many times she offered, he didn't take it. Text says, but he did not listen. I'm in verse 10, for those of you follow me. But he did not listen to her plea to lie beside her or to be with her. Then it happened one day that Joseph went into the house to attend his duties, and none of the men of the household was there in the house. Uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. She got him by herself. Nobody else in the house. She caught Joseph by his outer robe saying, today's the day. Tonight's the night. It's gonna be all okay. This is it. She got him by his robe. She said, she said, do the deed. Lie with me. But he left his robe in her hand and ran for his life. Yes, he got outside the house. Yes, he went running. He was running. He was running. He was running. I guess you could say a good run is better than a bad stand. He went running out the house. He got out. He knew that it wasn't where he was supposed to be. He got out. He ran. He kept his integrity. Let me, let me say this. You've got to realize this, that it would have been easier for him to go into her and to, and to be with her than it was for him to leave his cloak and run. But I told you, you got to learn some things. You can only control what you can control. He could not control her. He could not control what she was trying to do. He could only control himself. If it meant leaving his coat behind, he could only control himself. But what he found out is, he found out that even when you are in a position where you're bringing in a profit, you yet are expendable. And so you always gotta realize there's always an expendability factor. Because when the enemy does what the enemy does, he can always think that he can get rid of you. And trust me when I tell you this, never be upset if the enemy gets rid of you. Don't be upset. Don't, don't lose your mind because the enemy gets mad. Don't lose your mind, don't, don't go crazy. Don't, 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 you know, uh, uh, you know don't, don't go CeeLo Green on me. Cause, Cause that makes you crazy. I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. Possibly. No, don't go crazy. Just, just realize that the enemy may think that he's messing you up. But he's not messing you up when he thinks he can get rid of you. He's setting you up. So this is important, y'all. When the choice is right and wrong, do right no matter what the cost because doing right is the setup to your next elevation. Come on back. I'm trying to get it out. I got to get, I got to finish this. I got to finish this. Here it is. The text says, when she saw that he had left his robe, she went in her hand, she had ran outside, she called the men of the household, probably the other guys that she done slept with, 
and said to them, look at this. Your master bought this Hebrew. Now notice how she brings up his ethnicity now or, or his family relation now that he's not an Egyptian. Why, why do you bring it up? Because you want to stir them up. So, so people will bring up stuff when they get ready to use it against you. He, he wasn't a bad person before. When you thought you were going to sleep with him, he was okay. Hebrew or not Hebrew, you, you were ready to be with him. But now that, he, now that he's told, turned you down, now he's a Hebrew to mock and insult us. He came to me to lie with me, and I screamed. Yeah, you screamed. You screamed for him to get in the room quicker. When he, when he heard me screaming, he left his robe and ran out the house. So she left Joseph's out of robe beside her until his master came home. And then she told him, verse 17, the same lie. And then verse 18, then, he, then as soon as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his robe with me. And he ran outside. Verse 19, I'm, run, I'm running through because I got to hurt close. And Joseph's master heard the words of his wife. And what she said, mm -hmm. this is the way your servant treated me. His anger burned. So the master took him and put him in the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were combined. So he was there in prison. Now, you know, that's just cold-blooded. God's cold-blooded. But when God is on your side, when God is with you, I don't care what people do, they can't mess you up. Because see, if you got an endowment, you also have an endorsement. And that endorsement is that God's hand doesn't get moved because the enemy moves. God, God doesn't stop blessing you because the devil started messing with you. Yeah, God doesn't stop blessing with you because the enemy is mad with you. Look, look here, look here, look here. You you gotta be careful. Let let me let me let me let me let me let me. I, I just I just said uh, somebody said to me no slut shaming. I'm not trying to shame this woman for being slutty. I, all I'm telling you is what she did. She's an equal opportunity luster. You know, hey. She did what she did. The real problem, watch this, in her day, in her Egyptian community, if sleeping with servants was something that was being done, for her, it might not even seem wrong. Don't ever fool yourself. There are a lot of, of mulatto children, as they once called, a lot of light-skinned kids born during slavery who are not all born to dark-skinned women. Master's wives bought in Big John and others and, and were having, or you could do watch Mandingo and give it gut Anyway, you 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 gotta realize that that for her, she might not even seen it as wrong. In that culture, it might not have been wrong to her. What was wrong was not now this might mess somebody up. Please don't get mad at me. If you do, it's okay. Her desiring him, and if it was cultural and something they did in their kingdom, the way we saw it coming to America, they, it seemed to be an acceptable normative. Listen, listen, watch this. The real problem wasn't the sex. The real problem was the lie afterwards that got a man put in jail. 
Thurgood Marshall's career came to its, its apex in Connecticut, in Bridgeport, as a woman claimed that a black man raped her that she was actually having a relationship with. The real problem was not the sex, it was the lie afterwards that got a man put in prison. Ooh, thank you. I'm sorry, I just had to throw that in there. Listen, listen, you can look that up in, in Thurgood Marshall's life story. Listen, he won that case, by the way. He has an endorsement on his life. Verses 21 through 23 tells us this, but the Lord was with Joseph and extended his loving kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the warden. The warden committed to Joseph's care, management, all the prisoners who were in prison so that whatever was done there, he was in charge of it. He went right down and right back into a situation of power. The warden, just like Potiphar, paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's care because the Lord was with him. And whatever Joseph did, the Lord made to prosper. I close this now. I'm, 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 I've got to get out of here. But I want to close this now with, with what I think is God's blessing upon his life, which is the fact that he goes through so much, this endurance that he goes through. He goes through so much. But at the same time, he never loses what God is doing in him. There are three symbolic descents in the text. Genesis 37, 24 through 25 says that he did what? It says that he was cast down into the pit. Then over in 39 verse 1, it says he was brought down to Egypt and he went there into Potiphar's house. And then in Genesis 39 verse 22, 23, it says that he was brought down to the prison. So he has three symbolic descents, the pit, Potiphar's house, prison. And it would look like from the outside that he's going down. It looked like from the outside that Mary J. Blige could start singing, I'm going down since you ain't around. My whole world, whoops, upside down. But that's only from the outside because the downward trajectory is just an indication that God is getting ready to elevate him. It is in the prison that God needs to use him in order for him to leave the prison and proceed to his next location because it is from the prison that he will make his ascension into the court of Pharaoh at the palace. It may first start in the pit. It may go to Potiphar's house. It may be in a prison, but that's not the end. Always know that it's going to end up in the palace and it does so for all of us. Remember, he controls his thoughts. He, he could have easily given in. 
He could have easily given in to temptation. He could have easily given in to sorrow. He could have easily given in to feeling bad about the situation. He controls his tongue because even when he's confronted by his master, he does not dime out that woman or say anything about what she did. He doesn't call her out of her name. He doesn't say she came after me. I didn't come after her. He doesn't say a word. He doesn't do it. He controls his tongue. He controls his talent, using his talent in part of his house and then using his talent again in prison. He controls his talent. He controls his temperament. And I don't care what kind of sex lies and videotapes that may come out. He recognized that if I can control me, then I can control my situation because the God I serve is going to take care of all of the things that I can't control because God I serve is yet in control and ultimately God gets the last say. Control what you can, control you. And the good news is in controlling you, you have freedom, and the kind of freedom that will last. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Woo! God bless y'all. I, I pray you've enjoyed this word tonight. I, I know I've gone a little bit there, and I'm about to go over time, so I'm going to run to get out of this, this situation. But thank you for joining us tonight. If you join us tonight, and this is your first time being online, I holler out online, just tell them I'm on for the first time. And saints, greet that person, greet them back. If this is your first time online with us at Shiloh, holler out, tell them this is my first time and let's say hello to them and let's get them in, knowing that we care and you're part of our faith community. If you want to become a part of Shiloh, you know, you know how to do it. You can become an I member here at Shiloh, and we will welcome you here. Call us at 860-443-6046, and we'll be glad to receive you into our fellowship. I also want to tell you this. Please, saints of God, join us in giving tonight. This is our benevolent giving. Give whatever you can. You can do it in three ways. Give Lefi by mail or by cash app. Give as unto the Lord. And you know, we give these monies away. Whatever you give tonight gets given away. We give it away. I ask again that you keep those families in your prayers. Please keep in your prayers tonight. Uh, Brother Gillespie, keep in your prayers. Sister Cora, you know, the grieving families, please. Deacon Wilson, who has been in the hospital, and thank God he's out now. Please keep Senior Deacon Wilson in your prayers. Hold him before the Lord. Keep praying for Sister Maggie and Brother Lucas, uh, Deacon Deacon S. Daniels. Keep praying for each other. And know this much, we love you. I love you with the love of the Lord, and you won't change my mind. I know that uh, whatever we do for Christ will last, and I want you to realize that you're doing a great thing by being here in Bible study. And I praise God for each one of you here tonight. Join us again. I'll be online tomorrow at noon in prayer. Join me in prayer tomorrow. We look forward to having a great time of prayer and get ready for God to do a miracle. God bless you, saints. I love you with the love of the Lord. You know what time it is. It's time for us to get out of here. We're out of time. Let me just again thank, uh, I want to thank again, um, uh, um, last Sunday for last, 
during the rainstorm. I was blessed to have Minister Carter to preach a great word, and I appreciate Minister Deborah Carter. So let me say thank you to my dear sister. She preached for us as we prepared for the, well, the hurricane, I, Hugo, or whatever it was, Ida, whatever it was. We prepared for it, and uh, we had a way to have put together a great worship. And then last Sunday, of course, you know, we had a great service with Brother Benji. He did a wonderful job. But last, two, last Tuesday night, Elder Wade stood in my place, and I want to thank God for him. I thank God for his recovery. He is doing so well in preaching the gospel. So I just want to thank all of them for what they do. And let me thank each one of you. And on Sunday, when I was thanking all the youth leaders, there was one couple of youth leaders I haven't got a chance to thank, and that's Sister Good. I haven't mentioned her name in a long time, and I haven't mentioned uh, the new senior citizen, and, uh, and I want to make sure I mention Sister Carolyn Moody. In case you don't know it, she, last month was her birthday. Well, this month here, August is her birthday, and I believe she just turned 7-0. So, Sister Moody, I want to thank you for your work with the youth, even in your blessed senior years, you're still helping the young people out. God bless you. I love each one of y'all with the love of the Lord. You won't change my mind. Go in peace and the peace of God go with you. I got a one word benediction for you. Shalom.